Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Trader Aid Podcast, where Horse and I are going to discuss Bollinger Bands. Horse, I know that you have mixed opinions on Bollinger Bands, and we're going to get into those a little bit later. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of how these came about and what they are? Sure. So Bollinger Bands are a very popular technical analysis tool, um, and they they were made popular by a guy named John Bollinger in the 1980s. They're very widely used now by traders and investors, uh, investors alike. Um, but yeah, in the 80s, he introduced this tool. He's known for a couple others as well. However, it's without a doubt his most famous, and it, and it carries his name, obviously. But essentially, just to break down what people are looking at when you see it on a chart, it looks like a couple of bands sort of uh, surrounding price. So you see three main lines. You have an upper line, like sort of measuring the top of this band, a lower line, and then a midpoint. Uh, basically, that middle band is usually some sort of simple moving average. Uh, 20 periods is the default for you know most charting software. When you load Bollinger Bands for the first time, you're going to see uh, a look back period of 20 periods to get the simple moving average. And then essentially the upper and lower bands are calculated by adding and subtracting a certain number of standard deviations from that middle band. Two standard deviations is the default value. Um, however, traders adjust that sometimes, but two tends to be the most common in terms of usage for Bollinger Bands. And the purpose of this indicator is essentially to provide a visual of volatility. It's another way of looking at volatility. So when volatility is high, the bands widen. And when volatility is low, the bands contract or compress to show that uh, sort of muted price action, the standard deviations from the average will contract, making the band seem a lot more narrow. So sort of an envelope around where price is and based on the range or the average of price over the last 20 periods. And so it, it helps, I guess, market observers, you could say, get a better sense as to how volatile an instrument is, like you're saying, but also within the time frame that they're looking at. So when we look at Bollinger Bands, they have a lot of different types of strategies. The one that I'm the most familiar with is the Bollinger Band Squeeze which I think is a really interesting strategy to look at because this is one where there's actually some backtesting that on certain instruments like gold or other commodities that are driven solely by momentum, um, it, it can actually work on. It can actually work on Bitcoin as well with fairly decent results, but you've got to tune your input and your signals accordingly. Uh, but that being said, you know, Horace, I know you studied this a bit. What are some of the strategies that people are using Bollinger Bands to trade with? Yeah, without a doubt, the most popular is the one you just mentioned known as the Bollinger Squeeze. So this is used to identify periods of low volatility and anticipate a potential price breakout. So when the Bollinger Bands contract, indicating that volatility is, is suppressed or reduced, uh, basically the squeeze play suggests that uh, that's a period of consolidation and that it's probably eventually going to end. Otherwise, price would never move. So traders look for an expansion of those bands in indicating that volatility is picking up and price might be potentially breaking out from a particular range. I personally think this strategy is the most popular because it has the most validity. Uh, like you mentioned, it is something that I've incorporated and used in the past. But essentially, the strategy aims to capture uh, whatever that resulting price movement is after it squeezes or starts to break out. 
from the bands. I think it's interesting that this is the most common. There's six common strategies which we'll go through. I think it's interesting, though, that this one's the most popular considering most of the commentary that you see around Bollinger Bands is when things leave the bands, people generally view that as another uh, gauge of overbought or, or oversold, very much like RSI, which we talked about in our last podcast, right? Uh, so it's interesting that the actually the most successful strategy is to sort of look at that from the opposite standpoint, that you're leaving the bands is not an indication of wanting to fade that move. Instead, it's an indication to lean into it because it's breaking out from this period of consolidation. So the Bollinger squeeze is by far the most popular. The second most popular strategy you hear about is called the Bollinger Band Breakout. Very, very similar, but this strategy involves trading breakouts beyond that upper and lower band. So it's it's basically, in my opinion, when I was Googling this and researching it, it it's a very similar strategy. I'm not entirely sure how they differentiate, but people call them different things, the Bollinger Squeeze and the Bollinger Band Breakout. I think with the breakout, it's just as simple as when price breaks above the upper or lower band band, you again, lean into that particular trade uh, to indicate a new change in direction or a change of momentum. Traders try to capture that that new change. So the, uh, the squeeze, I think, involves sort of riding the upper bands, right, which is a very pop popular phenomena. I guess you could ride the lower as well, but it might not necessarily leave the price not might not leave the bands, but you're leaning into that widening band, whereas the breakout is price has actually exceeded the band levels. That's the best differentiator I could figure out between those two strategies. And really, it's it's about the combination of the two from what I found with backtesting where you find better success. That is to say, you're looking for the squeeze that leads to the breakout and then you're looking to play the breakout. And right. uh, that that often, especially when I was backtesting it with gold and I was looking at actually a, a 50 week period on a weekly chart, that tended to be a pretty reliable uh, play for justifying getting long or short based on momentum and then using that as a potential exit signal as well. When momentum starts to fade, the bands are going to start to narrow, but also, of course, having risk management in the form of a trail or hard stop. But with all that, yeah, I think uh, those those are the strategies that, as you said, they, they probably have the most provable practical application, right? Because you can actually backtest them and see that for some asset classes, particularly the ones that are just driven by momentum, where there's no real fundamentals, there's no real supply and demand as much in price as psychology, this tends to work because that's one of the ways people are using it to figure out, okay, how else can we discern momentum? Absolutely. And that leads us to the third strategy, which is the contrarian view uh, of, of momentum changing. Um, people will use what they call the Bollinger Band reversal strategy. So in this one, it's basically traders are looking for price to reverse once price touches or exceeds the outer bands. Um, again, I think this is the most talked about usage of Bollinger Bands. You see it quite a bit. Um, but it is in stark contrast to the two we were just speaking about. So this would be basically traders would try to sell when price exceeds the upper band or buy when price exceeds the lower band. Again, it's simply a reading of oversold or overbought. Uh, they try to take uh, contrarian positions based on those signals to look for price to rebound. I, I think this is a personally a, a 
relatively detrimental strategy, but I know a lot of people really use this and lean into it. I think it, what would help is having maybe confirmation on multiple timeframes, you know, that, that, that might be, you know, something that would make the signal more powerful, but yes, this is a pretty popular contrarian strategy to use the Bollinger band reversal. You know, and I think it also it, it's sort of price context that matters here, right? The the squeeze breakout really is much more relevant, and it even is a signal of a momentum change. So you've got momentum; you can see there's momentum to play. You've got directionality, so you know what way you're going to play it. With the Bollinger band reversions that you're saying, you know, when you get up above uh, the upper band and then revert back to the the average, let's say the twenty day simple moving average, I tend to see that a lot more when things are going sideways sideways in an asset that right. it will sort of trade between the band and the average or just between the two bands. But absolutely, if we're in a in a phase of, you know, moving higher or lower, then it's much less likely that getting outside the band is going to matter. In fact, in the context of that, getting outside the band is telling you people are getting pretty excited. This could continue to move in that direction. And the band may just correct so that it's no longer outside of it as price continues to move in that direction. Absolutely. And what you're describing is actually our fourth popular strategy for Bollinger Bands. It's known as the Bollinger Band trend following strategy. So essentially, this would like you're saying price is moving. It's not consolidating. This is a different use of Bollinger Bands to essentially stay within those bands within a trend. So traders might start to sell the highs if it touches the, the upper end of the band and buy the lows if it bounces off the the lower end of the band so in this case the the overall slope of that that moving average that third line in the middle is is trending it's moving it's not flat it's not stagnant it's not consolidating here we have a market that is actually moving that's when traders would use the trend following strategy with bollinger bands to sort of catch some lows uh, for buying the dip and maybe sell some rips when things get a little excessive this is also a popular strategy um, in a trending market and one i see utilized quite a bit the fifth strategy is known as Bollinger Band Divergence. So this strategy involves analyzing that relationship between price and the Bollinger Bands for some potential divergences. For example, if the price makes a higher high while the corresponding high in the Bollinger Bands is lower, that would be considered a bearish divergence. So it may indicate a weakening trend and a possible reversal in price. So a lot of times traders will use these divergences as signals to enter or exit positions. Uh, very similar phenomena to when we talked about RSI on, on the last show. Divergences, you'll notice it's sort of a key theme in most indicators that traders look for clues that you might be at a tipping point or a turning point in momentum. The final strategy here is known as the Bollinger Band Mean Reversion Strategy. So in this one, uh, and well, with all mean reversion strategies, traders take positions when the price moves away from that middle band, which they are using to basically as their gauge of the mean. And we'll get back to this concept here a little bit later because I have some thoughts about that. But when price gets too far away from the mean, 
the middle band, they expect price to revert back to it. So it's very, very similar the trend following strategy that we were talking about. Uh, if price gets too low, they would consider that oversold within the bands and buy looking for price to come back to the mean and the mean serving as their exit for the trade. Um, so it's a little very similar. You'll notice there's similarities and overlaps with all of these strategies. However, traders use them in sort of a nuanced way, depending on is the market consolidating or trending? Um, so, yeah, the, stra- the the assumption here with this strategy is that price tends to oscillate around the mean over time. So those are these the six most common strategies associated with the Bollinger Bands. Yeah, and it's a really interesting indicator. I know that you have uh, some justified skepticism about it, and I think we should talk about it. But I also think that you know, with any of these, the biggest thing that I would say is if you're getting to know how to use an indicator and you want to know whether it has validity for whatever it is you're trading, try to do some backtesting over the timeframes you're likely to trade whatever it is you're trading. And in all likelihood, that backtesting should be on things you're familiar with or at least have some familiarity with how they trade so that you can apply potential strategies that you would know how to manage in the context of not only getting the signal, but also understanding how to manage the risk getting into that kind of a trade. But with Bollinger Band squeeze breakouts, that's one that I've personally used, like I said, on gold and some other assets that are really just moved by momentum without much else. And that's where I found that backtesting is validated, that there is you know, some, some mathematical credence to using those strategies in practice. But there's still justified skepticism um, over uh, how this and maybe even even at its core, how moving averages really work. Are they something that people use and and they work because people use and believe them because they're coded into algorithms or or do they work because there's some kind of mathematical or statistical merit to them? So I do believe there's probably some validity to both. But yes, I think with the key moving averages, there's definitely definitely a psychological component to that, especially the simple ones like the 200, the 50, those ones and the associated death crosses and all the different terminologies in trading that have derived from the, the interaction between those daily moving averages. Yes, there's a psychological component. I mean, everyone talks about it. Everyone knows where the 200 is for the indices. It's one of those things that carries some natural weight. I don't know if it's necessarily the case here with Bollinger Bands. And we'll, we'll get back to that because honestly, before we, we highlight some of the main criticisms with this, I do think it would be cool to, uh, to recognize the era that this came from and how meaningful of a change in market analysis that this whole, this whole concept of trading bands was when it first um, you know, exploded onto the scene. So are you cool with that? We'll take a little detour down history lane and then we'll get to the main criticisms with this. Yeah, we'll, we'll go down history lane and then we'll get to the checkpoint from uh, Officer Horse. <laughs> no, I do. I want to give credit where credit's due because I think Bollinger came up with something that is very simple. And I do love things that are mathematically simple because I think there's beauty in that. And so I respect what was done here. And I want to highlight a little bit about what preceded that and inspired him. And this is from if you if you look on John Bollinger's own website, he put a nice little paragraph there about the history of band trading in general. So he did some research that I thought it'd be cool to sort of shed some 
light on here for the purpose of this conversation. The earliest example that John was able to find of people using bands in tradings uh, started in the 1960s. He cites a guy named Wilfred Ledoux. All these TA guys have such amazing names, don't they? But essentially, this guy was using <laughs> curves connecting monthly highs and lows of the Dow um, to basically in plotting those curves, sort of connecting lines, and they ended up forming a series of bands. So in Bollinger's mind, this was like the first usage of bands around price that provided tradable information. And then later in the 60s, I think that's a name that more people are familiar with. A guy named Chester Keltner proposed a trading system with the 10-day moving average rule. This later sort of morphed to become what we know as Keltner bands today, which is, I'm sure, something that we'll talk about in the future as well. So then we have another example in the same decade of this concept of bands sort of becoming a little bit more popular. Bollinger then goes on to cite a guy named J.M. Hearst, who used cycles to sort of draw these envelopes around price and the price structure. So it's it's becoming more prevalent, but it's important to note that Bollinger wasn't really the godfather of band trading. There was a few before him that he even recognizes on his website, and it continued to evolve into the into the 1970s. So in the 1970s, you have examples of uh, percentage bands being plotted around price. According to Bollinger, he's not really entirely sure sure who was the first to do this, but he gave a common example like of a 7% band. And basically, you know, your upper curve is 107% of the base or the average that you're measuring in the lower curve might be 93, giving you the 7% band around price, um, you know, as an example of band trading. So you can sort of see how the seeds were planted here. Bollinger, a younger, enthusiastic technical uh, analysis, uh, deployer in the markets. He was really stoked about TA. He starts seeing these examples of new things appearing on charts and then started to do some studying of his own with that that band seed being planted by other examples. Then that sort of led him to develop using standard deviations around a uh, predetermined average or mean price that he could use in his trading to trade off. So it's kind of cool to see like the seeds were there and he was young, eager, paying attention and being inspired by seeing other people use this concept of bands, which previously hadn't really been plotted on charts. And while we're here, we might as well just mention a little bit of history. Bollinger was born uh, in May of 1950 in New Jersey. He actually didn't have a background really in finance. It was an interest of his, but his uh, degree was in English from the University of Rochester. Go Rochester. Uh, so despite his educational background not really being directly related to finance or math, uh, it is pretty cool that he made his biggest achievements in life in financial markets and math, particularly with with looking at the standard deviation. So pretty cool to see a guy that was just incredibly passionate about markets, not really having the uh, accreditation to you know be doing this kind of stuff, ended up coming up with one of the most broadly used technical analysis indicators in the market, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, but anyways, back to what we were talking about sort of does lead us to some of the criticisms here because uh, Bollinger's evolution of band trading uh, involved incorporating standard deviations. And the challenge, that I guess, with this from like a philosophical perspective, if you want to get into debating that is whether or not you can apply sort of this Gaussian distribution or normal distribution to the stock market. Uh, is that OK? 
or not? Does that actually work? Does it make sense? Because there's a few probabilistic things here. And, and so let's start, break it down from the very beginning here. He's calculating standard deviations. And, and if we do a little research into how standard deviations work, they're a statistical measure. It sort of quantifies the dispersion or variability of a set of data points, right? So it comes from either a population because you need to get your mean. So you can either take a sample or have that entire population to determine what is the average. You need to know the, the mean or the average of the data set in order to be able to calculate standard deviations. That naturally begs the question in my mind, what is the average of the stock market? And it can it be considered a normal distribution? The reality is there's some things that, that pose challenges to applying sort of those Gaussian statistical measures to the stock market because that's not a very normal distribution. The stock market has historically always gone up over time and it has a natural lower bound of zero uh, unless you're trading oil a few years ago. That, <laughs> that was kind of mind boggling. But for the most part, you have a, a natural zero bound in the stock market, which you don't see. It's not very common a lot with you know looking at normal distributions. But the big thing that adds to that is fat tails. Um, you know, you have volatility clustering that sort of in and of itself. Uh, invalidate some of the assumptions that you would use to calculate things like standard deviations of normal distributions. Uh, it violates that rule of those those samples, even if he is taking a sample, being truly independent of each other, because volatility tends to be followed by volatility. You have a lot of skew and natural curtussis in the stock market, very fat tails that sort of conflict with this idea that prices can be um, I guess, plotted under a bell curve or a normal distribution, which would allow you to get your standard deviation. So you would know, okay, basically a measure of two standard deviations, you know, what that is, that's telling Bollinger is price moves outside of those are extremely unlikely, statistically unlikely, like a little bit less than 5%, right? So that's, that's what drives, I think, some of that contrarian thinking that, oh, well, that was a plus two or minus two standard deviation move price is bound to snap back in the other direction. The reality of that is we've seen over time that's not necessarily true. That's not how it works. Just because something has a very low likelihood of exceeding these standard deviations, how you're applying the standard deviations is naturally a little bit broken to begin with. So it's not to say that it doesn't work. There's just a little bit of, you know, I, I don't want to get too nerdy with this stuff, but there's a little bit of, you know, philosophical underlying issues with applying standard deviations to the stock market, in my personal opinion. But it doesn't mean it can't be a very valuable input for traders. And clearly it is because it's one of the most successful indicators of all times. And I think that's it's primarily utilized by the options market and options traders nowadays um, in terms of, you know, how how much of a move was a crazy move, like how extreme was it to one end or the other? We can use standard deviations to measure that. But it is worth knowing that the underlying principles or assumptions that need to be there to apply that sort of statistical analysis are necessarily there. So it's a little bit of a gray area, I guess, in stats. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's certainly not a uh, clear cut science. There's more parts of what we can do with Bollinger Bands that we can 
find mathematical validity to by backtesting it. And that's, that's for me always been the um, squeeze breakout plays. But I think on a larger scale of things, you know, the moving average itself is really just a representation of price over a certain period of time. And that works in essence, because people believe that it works. And and it does have, I, I guess, some degree of validity just because, you know, price was there. And so because it was, we may have some interest in, you know, checking those levels again, where we were over the average period of time. But I don't think that it's necessarily something that we can um, hang our hat on anymore. And that's the core of how Bollinger Bands are created. So, you know, that's that's the skeptical side for me is just essentially that moving averages in and of themselves aren't necessarily going to gather the base of information we need to know whether this is a fair assessment of a true standard deviation in the market. Right. Yeah. And it's not a criticism of Bollinger by any means, no. because I, I don't think you can use any single indicator in a vacuum. And you do want to look for other, um, you know, confluence signals, things that are, you know, you know, sort of happening at the same time to say, okay, this is a valid breakout or this is a valid time to try to catch this knife. We're likely to snap back in the bands. I get it. You don't want to use anything in isolation. So I'm not really criticizing Bollinger per se. I, I do think that is one of the largest criticisms of Bollinger bands though. And it's true for a lot of indicators is the subjectivity aspect. How are you determining the mean. And it's something I've personally struggled with as a trader for a long time was a lot of people identify as mean reversion traders. And in my mind, I've always been like, well, what in the world does that mean? Uh, and the common input, like we said, is 20 periods. That's the that's the standard input for the mean for Bollinger Bands. But again, this tool, this indicator, this using the same math could be changed to basically anything that fits your personal bias, right? <laughs> so like if you if you considered a lot more than 20 periods, if you say you're looking back on a weekly basis or monthly basis, you're going to see some very, very different visualizations of volatility from the products that you're trading, depending on how you determine the mean to get your standard deviations, right? So you could do it on a, on a monthly look and it would be like price riding those upper bands forever. Are they ever going to revert to the mean? Uh, probably not because you're, you're, reading of what the mean is, is completely subjective based on every other participant in the market. So I think that to bring this back full circle, the best application, ironically, for some of these tools to your earlier point or earlier question is probably the standard default settings because it's going to have the largest number of people likely to use that or make trading decisions based off of it, you know, it sort of gives you that psychological component. So I think Bollinger Bands, especially like if you're going to use them, it would be worth looking at a daily chart with the standard settings, the 20 period look back, the two standard deviations. If you want some of that psychological power that might come from a host of other traders looking at the exact same thing or potential, you know, high frequency trading algorithmic models, they're probably using those same inputs as well. So that's my biggest struggle with it is, you know, you change it, it becomes very subjective. It tells it can basically tell you whatever it is that you want to see, depending on the time period that you're looking at to get your average. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that looking at it for that standard 20 day period with a two um, two standard deviation is is probably going to be 
the approach that makes the most sense for people that are starting off with this indicator. And like any other indicator, like you said, you know, it's, it's your mileage may vary. Different instruments have different personalities. So always take that into consideration. And, you know, uh, for me, I, I really do like the Bollinger Band approach for gold on the weekly. Uh, but I do use a 50 period for that. I also like the 50 day moving average for gold on a weekly since a lot of people are trading gold. And I know this is going to be an episode for longer term educational purposes, but it's this this indicator of just using the 50 period uh, Bollinger Bands and moving average on a weekly chart for gold has worked for a long, long time for over two decades. Yeah, and I think there's total validity in what you're saying. I, I definitely think it's best applied to instruments that don't have clear fundamental underlying ways to to value, you know, the, the product itself. And gold is a good example of that. So understanding volatility and momentum from a standard deviation perspective might make a lot of sense for those instruments. And and honestly, I, I don't want people to see me criticizing this because to his credit, he created something that was really, really powerful, that is simple and easy for people to understand. I think in my own trading, one of the ways that I use it the most is when we happen to have a plus two or minus two standard deviation day, I do mentally note that as a bit of an outlier because it's not usual to see it. And honestly, where it's helped me the most is to put into perspective my performance versus that day. Because typically I don't trade outlier days very well, like plus two standard deviation moves within a single session. Those are usually tough to really capitalize the entire move um, without getting either shaken out or scared or taking profits or getting stopped out, you know, it's very volatile. So I, I, I do like to look at Bollinger Bands in the sense that like, okay, that was a ridiculously aggressive move. It's okay that I didn't play that perfectly. It's not typical. It's not a typical market day or market behavior. So it does put a little bit of like context and perspective behind what just happened and what I observed, again, as a lagging indicator that's to be expected. So it does have some validity, I think, from the psychological component for me as a day trader to understand or to be able to quantify a little bit better what um, uh, you know, is a move extreme or not, basically, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, and I mean, options market makers are doing the same thing and uh, yeah. they're, they're looking at it as a way of, you know, basically gauging realized volatility as well. And that helps to price options. It helps to get a better sense as to, you know, where things um, should be sold in terms of the risk that they're taking on the underlying. And so I think it all makes sense in, in that a lot of these things, you know, whether or not they're perfect, that at the time they were created, like relative strength index, Bollinger Bands were exceedingly impressive. And right. now that we've become so freaking spoiled that we can even have these conversations, that's kind of cool right. in and of itself. <laughs> it is. You're right. And again, I don't want anyone to take anything I'm saying as a criticism of John Bollinger. The, the man is very impressive, has had an impressive career. He also uh, is the founder and president of Bollinger Capital Management. Uh, a firm that provides technical analysis research and investment advisory services to a broad range of clients. 
Uh, he's a very successful market commentator. He's made a lot of appearances on, on TV, different financial outlets, CNBC, Bloomberg, stuff like that. He's received several awards for this, uh, including the Technical Securities Analysis Association of San Francisco's Lifetime Award for Outstanding Achievement in Technical Analysis. And he's come up with some other things, too, that are also broadly utilized, like the Bollinger Percent B and Bollinger Bandwidth. If you are interested in more in-depth information, about some of his strategies and how he would recommend playing them. The website is very informational. If you want to just Google Bollinger Bands or John Bollinger, you'll find his website with the information from himself um, because I don't want to, you know, give the impression that we're covering this exhaustively. There's a lot of nuances into how he trades uh, with Bollinger Bands and how he assesses the market. It's worth probably reviewing the website if you want some more information. He is also active on Twitter and a super nice guy and engages and stuff. So like kudos to Bollinger. I, I think he's a fantastic example of, you know, somebody that with just a fascination in financial markets that goes from, you know, being a guy with a BA in English to, you know, creating some of the, one of the best technical analysis indicators of all time. What an amazing storied career. So definitely not a criticism of him or what he created at all. It's more of a discussion about, yeah, I think it's a really fascinating topic that I'm sure we can explore more. There is a lot of like fundamental no-nos in the stock market that people still do that provide them results, you know, like technical analysis on the VIX is a common example of things that get scoffed at by more the quantitative traders. And, but yet there's a lot of people that utilize that as, as inputs into how they trade or models uh, that, that help them make decisions. So it's really kind of an interesting uh, dynamic in my mind where you have these things that sort of maybe start to blur the lines of what's acceptable in statistics yet, they're still utilized and incorporated into trading strategies and many can be back tested and have great results. I find that to be a really fascinating concept. You know, just somebody that's immersed in this world, you have these statistical no-nos that you shouldn't do, but yet we do them and they produce results in the stock market. So it's really, <laughs> I'll never not be fascinated by that. And I think Bollinger Bands is just a great example in my personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, my friend. So thanks a lot for spending some time with us exploring this topic of Bollinger Bands. We're looking forward to more articles highlighting different fascinating aspects of financial markets and trading. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you on the next show. Oh, <laughs>